Hi, welcome to the Read Play Talk podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Paris. And I'm your other host, Jack Love. This podcast is a resource for all things Read Play Talk. We hope that our listeners will be encouraged to read, play, and talk with their children every day. In this episode, we are talking with Daniel Ruvalcaba, who is a LEP testing facilitator for Mesquite ISD. Daniel's going to talk with us about why pre-K is important for students and also about how parents can best support their students during the school year. Awesome. So, Daniel, welcome. Glad to have you. Thank you very much. So tell us a little bit about yourself, background, family, all that kind of jazz. All right. Well, start from the beginning. I'm originally born and raised in Mexico. I grew up in a small town in the coast of the Gulf of Mexico, Tampico, Tamaulipas, which is right below Texas. I'm the son to doctors. I went to School of Engineering and graduated from Industrial Engineering. I moved to the States when I was 26 years old, pursuing a career in business management. And uh, since I was young, we would go on vacations to the States and we visited all the theme parks and decided to move here one day. Finally, that day came when I was 26 and uh, decided to go on a business management. Well, but half the way that path got interrupted by some financial difficulties. And that's how I started being uh, in education. I started teaching to support, to cover for my financial needs. And at the end, I ended up embracing this career, satisfactions, full of good memories, and has been since 2006. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And so are your parents medical doctors? They are medical okay. doctors and the father to two children. Both of them attended to Mesquita ISD schools as well. Very nice. And you have a family, obviously, that you have children that go and have gone to Mesquite ISD schools, right? Yes. I have my oldest son, 19, just graduated from Petit High School last year. He was a swimmer. And my daughter is also a swimmer. She's, her plans are to, to be in the team as well, the varsity team. And she's now a Terry, 13 years old, eighth grader, getting ready for the VLA this year. Very nice. So both going to be pirates, right? Yes. I've always had so much respect for swimmers. It's such a disciplined sport because you have to get up, at least every swimmer I've known, you have to get up so early to do your practices. Great activity for them to be a part of. Daniel, I know that you do a lot. So like any new student that comes to the district and if their family or in their household, another language is spoken besides English, they have to get tested at your facility, right? And then y'all evaluate whether or not they go into a mainstream classroom or ESL bilingual. Whatever. So you guys have a big job, and I know this is a really busy time of year for Mm -hmm. you. And I'm sure a lot of your families that come are probably trying to do pre-K, trying to see if their student qualifies for pre-K, which up until this year, in order to be in pre-K with the district, you had to qualify based on either income or language needs, military status, all kinds of different things. But the district is offering something new this year to where a family can enroll their child in the pre-K program, and it's a tuition-based program. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so, well, basically, you have already described the, the basic procedures to qualify for pre-K program, which is not mandatory by many states. But the state of Texas is one of the 44 states that offer bilingual or LEP. The state of Texas is one of the states that support the students' participation in pre-K programs, and they do it mostly through language and then Secondary applications can be taken through income or military, as you said, or the other kind of forces. Uh, Dr. Vrubran has been doing a big push since last year for the tuition-based pre-K program, which is uh, based on uh, a different set of qualifications. And parents can access the website to the enrollment section. And if they are not familiar or savvy with the website, you just go to the magnifying glass and type in enrollment. 
after you click enrollment, you scroll down and choose pre-K programs. At the bottom of that page, you're going to find tuition base. And that is a pamphlet that you can print out. And it's going to have all kinds of information, such as type of enrollment that you're going to choose. Then you're going to have what documents are required, how much is the tuition for 2020 to 2021 school year, and deposit, how much is per month, and uh, the total enrollment period, school day hours, and all kinds of information to assist parents in making this process available and easy to use. At the end of this this pamphlet, you're going to have an application that you can print out or save in a Word document and submit to the district along with your payment. And that is going to be offered in every school in the district except for two campuses, Porter and Lawrence Elementary. Other than that, the other 50 campuses are going to offer and host this program. Wow, 50 campuses. Yeah. It's crazy yeah. when you think about the numbers, the sheer number. So I know Dr. Vrunland's big push has been towards pre-K education. I'm sure this is a big, big check mark on his list. So when we talk about pre-K, Daniel, can you tell me why you think pre-K is so important for our students? What kind of environment like this, what does it do for the students, not only educationally, but maybe emotionally? Okay, well, I remember the times when the pre-K program was pretty much a strategy to support working parents. And in many cases, that program was look at an academic way to call a daycare. Pretty much some parents would enroll their kids as a, as a daycare so they could go work. And they have matching schedules and life was easy. The happiness doesn't end there. It's a program that is going to enrich the student's life. It's not going to only provide a safe place to stay. If districts like Mexquita ISD provide like a highly structured programs in our schools, the students are going to have opportunities to become better citizens. They're going to learn how to negotiate besides pre-math, pre-reading and pre-writing. They're going to learn how to socialize with other peers. They're going to learn new experiences that up until now, they have no experience independently away from their parents. They're going to learn how to raise their hand and acquire behaviors that are going to be the vehicle to succeed in future academic life. So it is not just a place to stay. It is a place to learn the basic, the foundational structure to become a better student when they grow up. But also, all of the things that they learn like daily routines, experimentation, how to hold conversation with others. And uh, emotionally, they're going to learn how to tie the shoes, how to be successful and functioning independently. If you look at all of the activities that they learn in the classroom, it's pretty much what they need to learn for life. It's a school for life. It is more directly connected to real life than upper grades. Because this is the first time they are away from the parents to live independently in a building where there is a person of authority, there is a little group of citizens interacting in different centers, moving from one place to another, learning the rules of every center, learning the procedures, the volume, pretty much similar when adults go to a funeral, when adults go to a, to a bar, to a party, it's a set of guidelines and norms that are not written, but you already internalize at younger age and and apply that in life. It's, it's very is the mirror image of real life, besides the academics that are important as well. These grade levels prepare the students more on an emotional level than academics. I remember the time that uh, 
I wasn't, or at least my friends were not taught how to hold a book the right way because in our times back there, we learned how to hold a book by looking at the photo albums at home. Pretty much every kid will learn how to sit down and hold a big book and page through it, looking at the images and pointing at funny things that happen in those images. Now kids with cell phones and iPads. They just swipe, right? They just swipe. And yeah. now you see them in classroom, don't know how to hold a book. That's amazing. I would have never even thought about that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is pretty cool. So, And you're right. There is a shift, right? There used to be the thought that pre-K, and it wouldn't even really call pre-K. It was daycare, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, And it was a place to put your kid until you could get him into kindergarten because you had to support your family. But I think the research is showing that children really, really learn early. Matter of fact, way, way earlier than anybody really thought. So these pre-K programs are really, really important. You know, and it is difficult for some parents maybe to let go of their kid. So what would you say to a parent who's unsure of sending their kid to pre-K? Maybe they want to keep them at home. You know, there's that mom that loves their baby and that, you know, that maybe have a hard time letting go. Or why is it so important other than the reasons that you gave? Okay, besides uh, the emotional and socially pieces that help or contribute to the development of any student, there is also an academic goal that is not being accomplished if the student let that gap grows or the parents let the gap grows in their kids. The students at pre-K, there are several studies that have demonstrated that the students that attended to pre-K programs compared to their peers in upper grades have an additional advantage to the peers at the same age, at the same background, same socioeconomical status, because it's proven that the students that attend pre-K develop language quicker, faster, and they have more tools to participate in classroom. They develop the confidence because they have the tools in the pocket. They don't hesitate to raise the hand ask for questions, and that helps to the learning. And parents need to a little pay attention to what they are removing at this early stage in life when they don't want to let kids go by themselves to an environment that they consider the students are not ready yet. Mm-hmm. But believe me, they are ready. They can learn how to comprehend. Reading comprehension doesn't happen until the kid can put words together and read them independently. Reading comprehension, it's a process that happens in the brains when the teacher can read aloud to them. So basically, those skills can be developed even before the kid can put a word together. Writing can be learned even before the kid learns the alphabet. He can learn the difference between a paragraph, a sentence, an isolated word, a run-on sentence, all those Complex terms can be learned at that age without even holding a pencil. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's funny, we, we talk about the statistic that if you are on grade level reading by grade three, your chances of graduating high school are exponentially greater than they are. I and, agree with that. And oh. this is the foundation of getting you mm-hmm. to grade level reading by grade three, right? Yes. In fact, students, when they don't read at grade level by fourth grade, those students are part of the 66% of the dropouts wow. nationwide. So is that important? Dr. Brumland is very concerned about having our kiddos reading at grade level by third grade. The goal is to be one year earlier than the peers that are going to be part of that 66% of dropouts by fourth grade. Toddlers, by the age of 18 months, if they attended pre-K, they're going to be several months ahead of in language than the counterparts that did not attend. 
have a note that uh, when these students hit fifth grade, they are already two years behind academically if they miss pre-K. I think what a lot of parents don't realize is that kindergarten doesn't look the way that it did when they attended school. You know, like when I went to kindergarten, it was half a day. I think we took a nap in that half day. We just went around and played centers all the time. I remember playing in the kitchen, playing with dolls, playing with little counters. But kindergarten is significantly different than it was 20 plus years ago. I have a daughter that's entering kindergarten this year and one that's in second grade. And when my second grader was in kindergarten, she was writing stories that were five and six sentences long. She was labeling pictures. She was reading, I think, by the end of her first month. So kindergarten is just so different. It's not just playtime. And I think when we give our children the opportunity to attend pre-K, man, we're just giving them a head start. Like, I want to put you in kindergarten with with this advantage of you're stepping in with knowledge. And that, in turn, is going to give our children a greater success or greater chance of success. Mm -hmm. But I know that there are some parents that You know, they feel like they can teach the pre-K curriculum at home. They can give them the information that they need to prepare them for kindergarten. I know a lot of families who do that really well. But do you have any advice for those families who say, you know what, pre-K is not for us. We want to do curriculum at home. Do you have any advice for how they at home can prepare their little one for kindergarten? Pre-K matters. That's pretty much my message to the parents. I understand. I'm a pretty, parent myself. Pretty simple, right? It matters. It matters. It is not a, just a, a decision made based on the schedule of the family. I'm going to go to work and what am I going to do with this kid? It is about his development, his academic development for life. They have to ask themselves what kind of conditions, what kind of tools they're going to bring with them to the classroom when they are in first grade, third grade, fifth grade, when they move into middle school, even kindergarten how they want them to be, how they want them to survive in a classroom where the other kids that attended are making groups, are working together. They understand directions. They know how to proceed when this teacher is giving directions. Those kinds of cognitive skills and abilities, social skills, fine motor skills are just not learned at home. It's going to be a titanic work for the parents to stay at home certain amount of hours and trying to input all that information without the support of a a little society that the classroom offers to this student. Because not all of the students ask questions to their parents. Many students learn from the peers next to them. Many students learn from other answers given by the smart kid in the classroom that speaks at a much lower language that I can understand because I miss pre-K. We have pre-K-3. So if I miss pre-K-3 and I'm in pre-K-4, that's my opportunity to catch up. And if you see those kids interacting, you're going to have a very good image of what your kid is going to be missing. So I would encourage the parents, maybe, if they are making this decision of keeping them at home, which I definitely do not encourage, go to schools and visit the pre-K classrooms when they are in action and see what your students are missing and then look at the kid at home and see what other multiple opportunities to receive stimulus from the walls, to look at the world 500 times. So until he memorizes, he knows the spelling without practicing because he's been seeing these walls over and over, the music, the chants, the friends, and all of that, put a packet together that is going to, I'm pretty sure it's going to make you go back and enroll you again. 
So what do you say we switch gears for a minute? Yeah, uh, let's go to what everybody's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> how, about, how about some virtual learning? And I don't want to call it all the rage. It's just all the necessity these days, right? Obviously, the pandemic is, has made everybody kind of switch gears. Some people might say it, it's accelerated what was coming. However you want to look at it, it's here. Virtual learning, that is. And there's a lot of parents that are nervous about virtual learning or distance learning this fall. What advice would you give to parents to support their students this year, both maybe educationally, emotionally? First, I must acknowledge that uh, we are all, at some point in time during this situation, we've been in the same page at some point because media doesn't help a lot. Radio does not help when you are choosing the wrong programs. Friends express their ideas out loud. And we have to understand that our kids believe the world is according to what the parents say. If the parents say the neighbor is a bad person, kids won't go close to that person because he's a bad person. So if they always talk about negative aspects of this situation, of course, they're going to absorb all of that. So my advice first would be to moderate the conversations and listen from the students. Yes, this is a hard situation for everybody, even for the district itself. That is the highest organization in our community when it comes to education. We are all learning in this. My advice for the parents would be to think a little bit, to sit down and think about having your student working independently at home. What other pieces is going to be missing besides the classroom? Remember that in the school, we have a bell that rings every period. We have restroom breaks. We have certain classes. We have certain places to be a certain time with certain procedure. We have tools. We have resources. We have a teacher. How is that going to be translated into a household environment? We're going to have to help our kids. And I have a... I have a short list of recommendations. For instance, number one, the classroom is going to be removed. Let's create an area where they can sit down and have a, an environment that is comfortable, that is conducive to learning. When they have their Chromebook from the district or their own computer ready, their resources, make sure, please, the kid picks up all the supplies so he doesn't have to run out of the room and find a pencil. Let's pretty much set up a small little mini classroom in one area in the house. And that was going to take me to the number two. Once you have that area, create a schedule, a schedule that is going to be easy for students to understand and to follow. Maybe assist your student with a cell phone that is, uh, has got certain number of alarms according to the conferences that he's going to have with the teachers. For that, the parent is going to have to be involved, definitely, and read every document that is going to be emailed to them so he can help the kid to set these alarms and keep a calendar. Another thing is to keep the environment and reduce out of distractions. Let's make sure that we have to model that and teach our students at home that the cell phone, the iPad, the video games are going to have to be put aside. There are certain hours in the day for school. And I believe that is the hardest part for parents to make kids understand that school is at home now and most likely they're going to be spending the entire day by themselves. It's a very hard transition. It's going to have to happen in a very short period of time for these students to grow independent at this age. Another would be to keep a calendar, maybe help color coding the calendar, do deadlines for projects, one color for math, maybe red color for social studies, yellow for reading, so that everybody in the family look at the calendar on the fridge and says, hey, you have an assignment due tomorrow. 
Little sister can help. Older brother can help. Mom and dad. They don't need to read. They don't need to understand English. All they need to see is when this assignment is due and assist your kid because it's very hard to be an independent learner. Exercise a lot. There's going to be a lot of sitting, more than the one they have already experienced with all the closure. And sitting in front of a screen is going to be exhausting. At least younger kids in the classroom, teacher has certain activities where they release that anxiety, release the fear, release all of that stress, and that facilitates the learning. So make your effort, go back home and take them outside, run, jump, dance, sing with them. Because when they are at home by themselves in the morning, they're going to find a lot of high level of stress if the system is not working well and no one around to help you. They're going to raise their hand. The teacher is not in the same room. And when you understand all that, you're going to learn how much information your students are going to have to handle independently. That's my advice for these parents. I took out of that probably the most important thing, right, is a school is at home. Make a school at home, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you got to have a classroom and you're right. There's distractions in schools as it is. Throw in computers, computer games and iPads and iPod. Holy moly. I can, you know, I can't imagine how difficult it's going to be. It's going to be a learning experience for everybody. But I would say if there's a district that I know of that can pull it off, Mesquite is that district. They are better prepared. They just have phenomenal people. I mean, from the top down. So Yeah, Daniel, those are such good tips. I was writing things down as you were talking because I want to implement it at my home. I wanted to touch on one thing you said when you're talking about making a designated space. I saw something online. I can't remember if it was on Facebook or Pinterest, but for maybe a family that doesn't have, you know, like a desk they can put the student at or an area. I saw where someone took like a shower caddy, like you see that they're selling for college right now. And then they took plastic cups and put pencils in one and crayons and markers. And so that's just their school supply caddy. So maybe they're working at the kitchen table one day and all of their stuff is right there. So you're not running from room to room looking for everything. So if you don't have a designated space in your home, that's maybe something you can do to make it more portable. But I feel like the whole message of all these tips that you were saying is this is going to be a whole family effort. This is not just the student that we're putting all this responsibility on especially these younger students, we are going to have to have a lot of parent involvement, setting reminders, making a calendar, all of the incredible tips that you shared. And I don't think parents realize how much power they have over what their child is going to think about this school year. And we were talking before we started recording about just how contagious positivity is and optimism and the things that we say over ourselves and about ourselves really impact who we are and who we believe that we are. So can you maybe encourage parents and give them some thoughts on how the words that they're saying to their students about this school year is in fact, is affecting how students are viewing their school year? Yes, definitely. When I mentioned a comment a minute ago, I said something about analogy of the neighbor, the mean neighbor. We keep talking about the neighbor leaving trash in the front yard, being loud loud cars, loud music. He's a bad person. And when we keep talking about that person, the kids are going to absorb that. I'm going to absorb that negativity towards that person. And for years, that gentleman is going to be the bad person in the neighborhood. So same way, we are spreading disease at home. We are not allowing this virus to come in, but we are bringing in the virus of negativity. 
the virus of being pessimistic. The more we express our negativity at home, the more the students are going to grow in themselves this resistance to believe that this is a good idea to stay at home. And they're going to be looking forward to when the schools supposedly are going to open. That is still in, let's see, because it's according to the governor, the way we drive our decisions. And let's not look at that date. Let's look at tomorrow. Let's look at what we're saying right now in front of them. Let's create an atmosphere of safety instead of an atmosphere of fear. Let's think about transitioning to digital altogether. Let's contact the teacher and select the best way to communicate with him or her. Let's choose rudimentary or traditional means of communications like phone calls, mail, or maybe move to emails for parents that are more computer literate and even platform like video. Ask to teachers about other choices that are going to give you the information to understand the situation better and not sound as pessimistic. I believe part of this is ignorance. The more you learn about something, the more you have the colors of the entire picture. And up until now, many parents are not even never been in front of a computer independently. So everything is a bad idea. And kids are absorbing that. I think nowadays there's so many more opportunities to even speak with your teacher, partly in thanks to this virus. If there's an upside before, I don't think there's probably not anybody who would have thought, let's have a Zoom conference with my son's teacher. Today, you'd be like, hey, I think I'm just going to have a Zoom conference. You can now interact with your teacher in ways that you never would have thought of six months ago. It's pretty cool. We've talked about it before. I honestly think there are bright sides to this pandemic. I mean, obviously, there are huge downsides, in it, but sometimes the mother of all invention is necessity, and we've needed to do some of these things. We've needed to be more connected with our teachers, and I don't think anybody ever thought, hey, we'll have a Zoom conference. You know, they're like, I got to take off work. I got to go meet right. the teacher. I got to, you know, take sick time. New avenues have been opened that were not there before, and I think teachers, administrators, parents, they're all embracing that. There's probably some hesitancy out there, but I think by and large, people are like, man, there's some really better ways that I can do things and communicate with the teachers. Yes, and I agree with you and make it easier. There's a phrase that I always think about when these kind of situations come, and that's out of every crisis, there's always opportunities. And I believe that after all of this, our community, the entire community is going to move up in the next level digital. Every parent is going to be forced one way or another to use a mean of technology. And once they try it, learn it, and master it, they're going to adopt it. Yeah, I remember at work, we just introduced Microsoft Teams. I'm like, man, I don't want to get on a phone call and talk with people and let them see me. And you know, now I'm like, bloop, let's talk to the person across the other line. I would rather do that. It's mm-hmm. funny. If you embrace the change back to the being positive and doing all those types of things, I think things will be better. So I think we're coming to my favorite question of all these podcasts. <laughs> we ask everybody, so you're not immune to it. You mentioned you have two children, one 19, one 13. Mm-hmm. When they were growing up, what was your favorite way to read, play, or, or talk with them? <laughs> That's funny, because I remember when Dr. Burman started pushing for replay talk in the district, I had little understanding of what the problem was until I actually got involved into some reading and activities. And in our family, it's been always that opportunity to interact with my kids and make a connection between school and our daily lives. Little things that I always did with my kids was doing the list for groceries. Mm -hmm. Started jotting down little words. Tomato, even if it only has TMO, that was tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Milk, 
this and that. And they will keep that list and take it to the grocery store with us. What we did is once Daniel, the older one, got more proficiency in language, we split the list into two. And they went out to the store to find the products themselves. Very nice. Looking at the products, research says that if you look at a word 500 times, you memorize it, and you even keep the right spelling for that word. So you imagine how many words they saw on the shelves right. while they were scanning through it to find the one that they had written once and again. And then we discuss about that. Even now, now that Daniel is 19, he's into mechanics and we do some procedures in our engines. We have some cars in the garage. He would put things apart and he wouldn't remember. So in order to put him back the right way, I encourage him to keep a journal. I have a, a notebook myself and I'm making the list down of the steps that I was doing. And then we work in reverse. So that way he's writing down, he's using that tool, modeling that to the younger kid. And my daughter is learning it as well. With my daughter, since she's not uh, very f focused in one path yet, she changes career every week. <laughs> we were a fan of those food channels. And if you look at those shows, at some point, the host tastes and tries the new dishes and gives the audience a very nice description of the taste, the smell, the consistency, the texture of the food that enriches the vocabulary. So we play that because she loved the, the show. And so we made the connection and she learned a lot of words. We were playing to describe our dishes made of Play-Doh. And she would use those words that Sam mentioned at the show. We talk about things all the time. I was used to, my parents used a very high vocabulary when I was six years old. And it's just a little parenthesis, for instance, I went to school two years earlier. I'm a late birth, October the 5th. To send me to school with my older cousins, she lied a little bit in my birth certificate <laughs> so she could send me to school. Well, back then, they did not have computers, of course. And we would line up in the patio, in the backyard, in the school. And then you will go to classrooms. And I moved to the next grade level. So I find myself four years old in a kinder classroom, two yeah. years ahead. But since I have a well-developed language, teacher only thought I was little because mm -hmm. I would speak like anyone else. And that is thanks to the conversation I have with mom. They always talk to me with adults' language. They always ask me to do things adults would do or discuss things to make me think about the way I write, the way I read, and to self-reflect in my activities. I'm always making connections. So that's why read, play, and talk came to my life very handy because I pretty much had the foundation and my kids love all those interactions that in some way can be done anywhere. When you are in the car, at the shopping center, when you are at a park, when you're reading at night before bed, mm. one little twist when we were reading when they were younger was that we would give their names to the main character. Oh, okay. So, we, yeah, we never call little red riding uh, or the three little pigs yeah. the, those names. We name them like my three brothers. Oh, uh, so fun. Yes. <laughs> so we idea. would include them. I said, we don't want to call her like oh, that. That's, we, that's awesome. Yeah. And they were like smiling. And then I made a connection. I remember I developed my, my reading skills by reading classics. And I made a connection between what it was Dr. Hyde, Jekyll and Mr. Hyde mm -hmm. with Hulk. And then mm -hmm. uh, Frank Sting with new cartoons where the, this person is not well understood. Mm -hmm. I mean, always made a connection that we had that when I was a kid, but it was called this way. 
And uh, that's how they adopted reading. And then we had conversations, similarities, differences, and we will bring everything, books, novels, or even newspapers. Those may be my favorite replay talk activities of all the guests that we've had. I those are. Well, those I are love uh, the ones about food because we're. All, <laughs> I feel like we're always talking about food at our house. So mm-hmm. that's, I'm a little worried that's somebody perfect. heard my stomach growling on the oh, microphone. I hope. There, so. I hope it got caught on the mic. <laughs> it likely did. It was loud. I heard it in my headphones. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel, so much for coming to talk to us. You were so inspiring and had so much information about the importance of pre-K. And if you are interested or want more information on pre-K, you can check out the district's website at mesquiteisd.org. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We would love it if you would give us a glowing review on whatever platform you're listening to. Five-star reviews are obviously our favorite. We encourage you to follow us on all of our social media platforms for ideas on how to read, play, and talk at home. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Replay Talk or on Twitter at Replay Talk TX.